Take your Bibles to Romans chapter 16 with me. Romans chapter 16. If, uh, if you've been here a while, you know that that means we're starting the last chapter of Romans. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 for today. The word of the Lord says, I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. You can be seated and uh, as I welcome us to the preaching portion of the worship service, I, uh, I want to comment on some thankfulness. Um, as children, you can be dismissed to Children's Church. It reminds me that uh, Chris Schlegel mentioned there are Advent packets of material for children. So some take-home study sources for children in the foyer uh, on the welcome desk. That also reminds me that there were a group of people that came in yesterday to decorate uh, for Advent. So the building looks just beautiful. I'm so thankful for everyone that came in yesterday and helped set up. Appreciate that. They did, they did something. I came in this morning. I came in early. and um, There was a nativity scene that was all on the platform pulpit here and it was all set out and organized just for me and uh that was nice to know they were thinking of me even to tease that was nice but honestly there's something else that is teasing me a lot more this morning and i don't know if they did it to tease me or not There are two chairs on my left, and I don't know why they're there. They don't belong in a row there. My son looked over at me this morning, having set up chairs with me a lot of times in this room, and he said, do you see those two chairs? I said, yes, I do. He said, are you going to pass out during the service? That would make it worse. You belong right there. So I don't know if the person who did that was uh, joking, but I would say that's a pretty good sense of humor if that was the case. Or maybe it was just two chairs set there, which is okay. Um, In Romans chapter 16, um, there are these two verses, a paragraph, a list of people that Paul runs with, people he ministers with. And sometimes when people study the epistle to the Romans, they, they get to 16 and kind of race through and say, okay, there's, there's the conclusion. I, I don't think that would be wise for us. Because if you remember, chapter 15 talks about the ministry of the gospel. Chapter 16 reminds us that our Lord, Jesus, who is himself existing in a community called the Trinity, does not command any of us 
to go on being ministers like we're the Lone Ranger. Go and run with brothers and sisters who will labor with you. They'll be faithful. Some days when you're tempted to be discouraged, they'll be encouraging. Some days when when they're defeated, you'll have a sense of confidence in the work of the kingdom. Chapter 16 is good instruction for us to remember that our Lord has designed his ministry to be done by us, not by you or by me. There's a community element to Romans 16 that I hope is encouraging. I hope it's encouraging as it communicates how we serve our king together, but I hope it's encouraging as you are reminded that our king has provided for us again in both people to minister to and people to minister with. Jesus is the giver of good gifts, and to him belongs the glory. So we don't want to race. One commentator says, this chapter is not one of those favorite chapters for those who preach and teach the word. And yet in many ways it should be. It's sad that sometimes it's neglected because it is by far the most intimate, specific of all the words of personal, loving greeting to ever come from the heart of the Apostle Paul. We've seen so clearly this call to be ministers. Not to, not to come into the fellowship of God's people and insist on our preferences. Romans 14.1 Welcome each other, not to squabble over differences or preferences. And that that instruction about how to think about our personal preferences transitions into look at Jesus. A servant minister of sinners. And then chapter 16 says that's exactly what the church has been historically. Christ-like fellow laborers growing in their own Christ-likeness being equipped to every good work. We need to be reminded that ministry is not a list of goals, it's not a budget, it's not programs. It is community of people, united in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's people, both ministered to and ministered by. The, fel- the title for this morning is The Fellowship of the Kingdom in these two verses. Romans 16 is really a continuation. If you look back to Romans 15 and verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. So Paul begins chapter 16 by saying, speaking of able to minister, able to instruct, knowing the truth, prioritizing Christ's kingdom over any would-be kingdoms of men, let me commend to you. And he talks about these fellow ministers. Now, this chapter, I think, it's helpful for us to see it break down into three parts. I would suggest the first part is this section on companionship in ministry, the community of ministry. The second part is ministry conquest, and the last part will be a benediction and doxology an appropriate way for us to end this great epistle to the Romans. 
Today we'll just look at these first two verses and we'll see the role of women in the gospel ministry. But today we'll take time just to look at one particular. The one Paul saw fit to start with. Let's pray and then consider this fellow laborer of Paul's named Phoebe. Lord Father, thank you for giving us the word that we would be completely equipped. Thank you for the living and the working power and authority of Scripture. I pray this morning that we would be good workmen as we handle Scripture, keeping it in context, guarding ourselves from cultural impositions into the study of your word. And so I pray you'd be glorified in the way that you continue to display your faithful and loving kindness to your church as we grow up in every way into him who is our head, into Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. The first two verses. One particular co-laborer. There are nine women listed in Romans 16. I think it's appropriate for us to discuss the importance of women in ministry because there can be some unspoken imposition onto the way people think we view ministry because, I will say this up front, we believe confidently, we're fully convinced that the role of pastor-elder is a role designated by our Lord for men. What can come after that as unspoken is, oh, so men have a greater importance in ministry than women do. And we are not intending to speak that. And therefore, I think these first two verses help us clarify that that second part is not what we're saying. The first part is, the office of elder, pastor, is reserved for men. Period. So we labor together, male and female. Due to the fact that there is a lot of pressure in our culture to maybe a knee-jerk response, the recent Me Too movement, the almost unexplainable, almost unexplainable obsession with gender ambiguity and dysmorphia, all pressing in on the church means we have to be very careful. We can neither accommodate what is sinful, nor can we dig our heels in simply because something in culture is begging for attention. Right? So I was talking with Josh this week, and I said, boy, I said, I'm always tempted to tell the congregation to avoid two ditches all the time, right? You've heard me say, for every 10 miles of road, there's 20 miles of ditch. You get the math? 
Okay. I know that there is a cultural ditch that is on both sides of us. One is a church culture, which I'm going to talk about later. There is definitely a church culture. And we're all shaped by it. I'm not saying it's bad. But you need to see it and know that we are in ways shaped by it. And then there is a church-less culture. And that culture is always imposing on the way we handle Scripture. And so, in light of the fact that there are both those, there is this middle way. And that's the Scripture. So this morning, one ditch might be a temptation to say, we've always done it this way. That's church culture. I, I get that. The other way is to say, with everything that's come to light in our community lately about the roles of men and women, don't we have to rethink the way we've handled the Bible? That's a ditch. Let's avoid that. So right now, like, would you, would you really intentionally just say, Lord, I want to know your word. And the other two cultures have to take a back seat to the authority of your word. So let's talk about especially the place of women and this particular woman to start with in the church. Paul says, I commend. Paul commends this woman. Commendation is really important. Um, We really don't have any parallel to it. Uh, A reference letter maybe. You know when you're going to hire someone and you don't know them, but you know someone who does know them and so you ask for a reference. Could you write me a letter of recommendation, a letter of reference for them. That may be the closest we would have. But imagine a woman. We're going to talk later. She seems to be a person of means, wealth, prominence. And she's traveling from town to town. No Super 8. No Best Western. She needs a place to stay. Walks up and knocks on a door. Can I stay here? No. Last person we had to stay here left with the silver. Well, I have this letter from a man named Paul. You know Paul, the apostle? Yeah. Well, here, here's what he thinks about me. Yeah, sure you can stay here, okay? I commend to you our sister Phoebe. She is a servant of the church. In the church just the next town over from where Paul is writing and from where he spent 18 months in Corinth. St. Cray was eight miles from Corinth, probably the church she's in had been planted by the church in Corinth. And Paul's been there a year and a half. He's writing this letter from there, which, by the way, is why Phoebe's being commended because she's carrying the letter to the church in Rome from Corinth. This, I mean, this amazing letter. Most people would say if you could study two books of the Bible, make them Genesis and Romans. I think that's notable. It's hard for me to leave any of them out. But if you only gave me two, (laughs) a lot of people who we respect for their zeal for Scripture study would say that if they were only allowed to have one book on an island, They would want it to be the book of Romans. This letter, this book we have to Romans, to the Romans was carried by a woman named Phoebe. 
And Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. The ESV and the New American Standard use the word servant. Most other translations interpret the word as deacon, which is the same word as servant. And that's pastorally something I want to talk about for a portion of our sermon time this morning. It seems to me like Phoebe's more than an ordinary believer. She is a servant. Literally, diakonos. Your Bible, ESV and New American Standard has a little footnote. And it says, or deacon. There's no, let me just clarify, there's no feminine ending for the word servant. There's no masculine feminine. There's, there's no clarification between, is this, is this a deacon or is this a deaconess? By the way, I would tell you that in our church, we are served by both deacon, male, and deaconess, women. They both exist in the life of Emmanuel. Phoebe seems to be more than a, another church member. She's called a diaconess. Paul might be simply highlighting one of her characteristics. She does a lot of serving around church. And there are people we could think of in church who do a lot of serving around church. I'm encouraged this morning by some people who serve really well. Um, oh, boy. We got a couple things going on, and people step in, and I'm so blessed by that. Um, I won't embarrass him by calling him out by name, but I showed up really early this morning because we have a network problem, and, and uh, so I can't print things from my computer, and uh, there's an email thread that's going on between us and our, our the people who installed our IT, and, and, and it's very frustrating to me. But then yesterday, I included Matt Ross in that email thread, and stuff started getting done quickly. Um, and so we're still struggling through that, but I'm encouraged by the way, that, the way that people serve. And then this morning, I showed up early, really early, earlier than I want. <laughs> and I showed up really early, and already there was a man out uh, shoveling a sidewalk. And you know who I'm talking about. If you've ever seen anybody run while shoveling a sidewalk, you know who I'm talking about. And then he changed his outfit and led worship this morning. And so I'm really encouraged by people who serve. And, and you, could, you could point to people in church and say, I am thankful that those people serve, right? And Paul might be saying that. He might be saying, man, Phoebe, she's shoveling snow and serving at the fellowship dinners and leading in worship service. She, maybe that's what he's saying. But there's, there's this qualifier. She is the deacon of the church, I think that suggests that Phoebe was actually functioning officially as a servant in church according to the office that Paul described in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12. There's this hint in the New Testament, particularly later institutions of the office of deacon, that deacon is probably someone who visits the sick helped delegate relief to the poor, and maybe even took responsibility over financial administration in general. You, you, could, you could see in Acts 6, let me, just, let me just explain Acts 6 quickly. In Acts 6, the church is growing, and the apostles and the prophets are made aware of a problem. There are some widows 
which we know from Scripture that a widow in the first century depended on the people of God for survival. And they're made aware that some of the widows are being forgotten about. And the apostles are not okay with that. But, wisely they say, we, we totally sympathize, but we can't leave the preaching and the praying to go do that. Church, would you, would you hear me commend to you the apostles? Say, widows matter, but the preaching and the praying matters more. In their office, they they couldn't abandon that for something else. However, they could still say, but we absolutely care for it. So would some of you, would some of you tend to it? And he says, would you choose out six, choose out six men who are known as trustworthy, and they'll take care of administering the financial care that these widows need for survival. And so the group of Christians does that. They say, okay, yeah, that, that person over there, they're really faithful. I mean, I've, I've never known them to do anything that was uh, scandalous. Here's the thing. Act 6 is description. It's not prescription, which means a couple things. It means you don't have to have six, right? Six are described. Hey, they got six. Doesn't mean we have to have six. In fact, we have more than six. It also doesn't mean they have to be men, because it's just being described in that first century context as men. It also, here's a big qualifier, it doesn't mean that they're deacons, because that word's never used in Acts 6. Deacon doesn't show up until Paul talks about himself as a deacon of the church in the book of Philippians, and he describes two offices in the book of 1 Timothy, elder and deacon. That's, that's when it shows up. So Acts 6, we don't even know if that is deacon, but it seems like a wise stewardship of church. The apostles kept preaching and praying, and there were people who could do other things so they could keep preaching and praying. we have to be careful about some overreactions. First is cultural feminism, which certainly could push us into a dogmatic or extra-biblical opinion. The question is, did this woman hold an office of service in her church? Paul uses this word, deacon, 20 times. Twice he referred to rulers. People in charge politically serving. Twice he referred to Christ himself. And as I mentioned a minute ago, in Philippians and in Timothy, he refers to himself. One commentator, Tom Schreiner, says this. It's likely she held the office of deacon. This is the only occasion. Listen closely. This shapes some of my opinions. It's likely she held the office of deacon. This is the only occasion in which the term deacon is linked to a particular church. And Schreiner goes on in some lengthy information about this subject and warns us against our cultural understanding of deacon. What do you think a deacon is? I was, uh, I told my Sunday school class this morning, 
Six years ago, on this Sunday, I stood here for the first time. I preached from Romans 8, and I did a question and answer in the fireside room. And I remember one particular man asked me the question about what I thought about the fact that our church had deaconesses. And I said, well, I think that's fine. And he said, but don't you believe in male leadership? I said, yes, I do. And he looked at me puzzled because he couldn't comprehend how I could believe both those things were okay. Do you think that it's okay that we have women who deacon? Yes. Don't you think the Bible communicates that there's reason for some male leadership? Yes. What? How can you have both those? Because you and I are talking about deacons differently. That's the point. Schreiner says we have to be careful that we don't read into this text our cultural understanding of the office of deacon all the way back to the first century. He says this, the deacon is cultural equivalent now to a board of directors. The 20th century cultural evolution of the office. For most of Christian history, the office of deacon was understood as dramatically distinct from the office of elder. Had to do with organizing benevolent ministries in the church. End quote. Listen to the London Baptist Confession of 1689 describing offices in church. The offices appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church for the peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty which he entrusted them with or calls them to to be continued to the end of the world that's a lot of lead up, right? are elder and deacon. I believe that. I find those to be true in pastoral epistles. The elders, preachers, overseers, deacons, caring for sick and the poor, and where that requires it, financial care for the sick and the poor. Leon Morris cautions the modern church offering this reasonable perspective. The social condition of the time were such that there must have been the need for some ladies in church work to assist in matters like baptism of women. Anything that meant contact with a woman's quarters at her home. The form of expression here makes it more likely that an official is meant than the more general servant. Though in view of the wide use of the term for the general concept of service, this is far from being proven. I think that's generous. Makes sense that there are some women who would be serving and ministering to a church that is including women. However, it's not a dogmatic conclusion. Do I think that it is biblically acceptable and reasonable that we have women who deacon at Emmanuel. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think without question, in terms of its function, the verb, serve, 
thank the Lord that women and men serve each other alongside each other. But that's not all I'm saying. Do I think that it is appropriate and biblically reasonable that we identify some offices for women in service? I do. I do. And let me go back six years. Do I still clearly believe that it is God's plan for there to be a distinct function between men and women in his creation? I do. I, I really understand the, the church culture shaping what we think about Phoebe. How, how you and I understand the word, she is a servant at the church at Sancri, is shaped in large part by what we know about deacons. Matt Helling is a deacon. And we think, yeah, Matt's a deacon at church. He's a moody graduate. He's a sharp guy. He married way up. And we think, okay, that's what I know about deacons. Matt. And, and we come to this text and we say, oh, Matt's not like Phoebe. <laughs> and so I know that what we think about the role of deacon in the life of church currently, I know that it shapes what we think this verse must be saying. I don't think that we should come to a dogmatic conclusion based on interpretation through the lens of our own experience. I think there's something more important here, though, than just what's her office. I think what he says next is more important, a lot more important. He says, I commend her to you. She is a deacon at that church down the road from me. She's carrying this letter. And here's why I commend her to you. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many, and myself as well. Paul is saying, Christians, act like Christians. In a manner worthy of saints, both in the way you treat her as a saint and the way you behave as a saint. Be hospitable. Christian hospitality was a big responsibility for people who were truly the Christian church. Paul gives reason for this warm reception, he says, in a manner worthy of the saints, he identifies Phoebe as their sister in Christ. Romans eight fifteen, familial language. We have one Father, God. Ephesians two nineteen, we are not strangers. Walls of hostility are broken down, and we now have fellowship as the household of God. First Timothy five. Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women like mothers, younger women as sisters. See yourselves like a family. God is your father. So I commend to you one of your sisters. <clears throat> you might hear people call each other brother and sister. I don't know if you do that. It's kind of weird. But get in a habit of it, and it's less weird. And I think it's true. I think it's true, and I, I think it's helpful. I think it's a subtle gospel expression we are 
knit together in Christ. It's not wrong. She's a minister of the gospel and should be welcomed as saints welcome saints. He says, help her in whatever she has need from you. She must have been a resourceful woman. She's traveling and carrying this letter. She might have had other business to do in Rome and might need their assistance while she's there. He says this other thing. She has been a patron. That's not a word we use very often. It's an old English word. It means a helper. Prostatus. A person who supports another's work. She might have been financial assistance to a lot of people, including, he says, himself. She has been a supporter to many, and now to myself as well. I want to emphasize this morning not necessarily what you think about gender roles. Not necessarily what you think about how we treat, in our current culture, we do certain elections. It's hard to be dogmatic. I was talking with uh, Taylor Mayfield about this um, probably six, eight months ago. It's hard to be really dogmatic about the way we do business as a church. Like, how congregational should the church be? It's hard to get really dogmatic about that because it's not really a first century issue. And so the Bible doesn't lay out, like, okay, as long as you have a quorum, and as long as, you know, the Bible doesn't lay that out. These are things we do as stewards, not as tenants of our faith. We're Christians, therefore we vote on these six things. I don't intend to commend to you some sort of ecclesiology, the way church works. But I do want to emphasize that as we hear Paul talk about these fellow laborers, we are reminded that there is a unity between gospel ministers. There is a brotherhood and a sisterhood in the way that we serve our king together. And there's a love of Christ for us. There is a love of Christ for us. It is an expression of his love for his people that we have each other. Let me tell you a story. I believe that I've shared that in a sermon, this story in a sermon before. But probably some of you haven't heard it. Um, there was a city fellow who was driving through the country and he lost control on a gravel road and his Buick slid off into the ditch. He could not get it out of the ditch. So he walked half a mile down this country road to the first place he saw, which was a farmhouse. Went up to the door and explained to the man at home what had happened. His car was stuck in the ditch. He accommodates his request, says, I think I know a way we can get it out of the ditch. And he has these two, he has this old mule, this old mule that he hooks up to a harness, and he walks the mule down the road. And the city guy doesn't know if this is going to work. The mule looks a little worn. But he hooks the harness and the straps up to the Buick, and then he starts to drive the mule. And as he's driving the mule, he says all these different names. Come on, come on, Cletus. Come on, Ernie. I'm sorry if your names are Cletus and Ernie. I'm just naming the mule. 
Come on, let, let's go, let's go. And he names like six different names. And this old mule bears down and starts driving. And he pulls the Buick back up to the shoulder of the road so it can be driven away. And the city fellow, of course, has several questions. One of which is, why did you say so many names as you were giving commands to this one mule? He said, well, the mule's old and kind of worn out. But if you remind him that he's worked as part of a team, he works a lot harder. (laughs) That's a weird illustration, but it fits. God's goodness to us is that our joy would remain even when we're tired because we're not in this alone. Paul was not in this alone. And I would only say as one caveat, men, we are not in this alone. Paul commends nine women as those fellow Christians that he's encouraged by in their faithfulness and their contribution to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Remember, our ministry is not the programs, it's not the stuff we do, it's not the budgets we keep, it's people. Both those we minister to and those we minister alongside. Because of Christ's sincere affection for us, we're not left alone. We're not crushed. We don't perish in despair. God loves us and puts us in fellowship in the kingdom work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I'm thankful for the reminder today as we think on this morning here at Emmanuel. There are, there are several things that could really be discouraging to us. They're, they're peripheral things, they're, they're administrative things, but then in come our brothers and sisters and they labor with us together. I'm reminded today that you have continued to pour out good blessings and gifts on your church. You've equipped us and fit us together as your body. Hands, feet, eyes, ears. We don't all have the same function, but we're thankful for the fellowship of ministry. We're thankful for the life that we have because of Christ, the the old passing away and all things becoming new. Lord, I pray that as we are a group of Christians who are following your will, being nurtured too by your providence and this new life in the Spirit, we pray that we would be good students of Scripture. And I know that there are subtle things in both our culture that makes us very apprehensive about even having a conversation about gender roles. And I know that there's church culture that makes us feel maybe a false sense of confidence. This is the way that we've done it, so it must be okay. But I pray that this small passage of Scripture would help us look back into the history of your church and find how you have constantly been providing for us through your people, men and women, ministers, Christians, being treated like fellow saints. So I pray that you would grow us up, cause our joy to abound as we think about this ministry we engage in together that is so worthwhile and even, in fact, a treasure and hope deferred, laid up in heaven, in Jesus' name.